Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent, a qualified clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for being part of my world and for listening to this episode, episode number 48, which is just wonderful. We are fast approaching a whole year together, which is ace. Um, I sound a bit different today in my head, um, in my ears, in my throat, Um, because I haven't been very well. I've got tonsillitis. My tongue feels too thick. Um, I don't feel I can get my words out (laughs) quite right. But people assure me I sound the same. But for me, all feels different. It all feels different. And this has inspired the topic of today's episode of the podcast, which will have some possible catchier title of working when we're poorly, um, as aspiring psychologists and mental health professionals, something along those lines. Um, yeah, I could <laughs> could use help coming up with catchy podcast titles. And with that in mind, if you've got any ideas for things you'd like me to talk about um, on the podcast, please let me know. Honestly, please don't be shy. Otherwise, you just get (laughs) the random stuff that's going on in my life. And maybe you enjoy that. But um, I would also like some bottom up guidance, as they say in the research world, as well as top down. Um, Oh, and now I'm like, oh, living comes down on the top of the tree. I'm not. It's just that's, you know, I'm creating it. So that would be top down. Um, So yes, please don't be shy. Head along to my website, um, www.goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk forward slash podcast. Um, and let me know um, yeah, what podcast episodes would really light your fire. Okay, so I recall the first time that it cropped up for me um, as an issue um, when I was unwell because it directly impacted on the care of my clients and that's when I was working um, for a university undergraduate level. Um, I was doing a job in my second and third year supporting disabled students to optimally engage in their studies. Um, So it it went usually meant going along to, um, to lectures 
um, and or exams with them um, if they had um, some kind of disability. And it could be um, a kind of long-standing disability or it could have been a temporary disability as well. So somebody once broke their right arm and they were right-handed. And so <laughs> I really have awful handwriting. I was a very bad person for that job, but it was my job to scribe for them. Um, so, yeah, if you're at university and you are experiencing some kind of difficulty with accessing the level platform to engage in your studies, please remember that there are student support services there and there will be likely some service to support you to, you know, to more to more optimally engage. So that it's, so that it's fairer for you. Um, and that might be, like I said, a long standing difficulty that you've got, um, such as what we discussed with um, with, uh, with Dr. Deborah Kingston when we're speaking about ADHD and we're thinking about the Centre for Academic Writing, but also, um, you know, if you've got um, any kind of additional needs um, or mobility issues, um, then you can contact your student support centre and see in what way they might be able to help you. And then you might get someone, hopefully someone with slightly neater writing than me, um, runs in the family. My brother has got such awful writing that the university had to pay to have his work transcribed so that they could score it. And he was doing pure maths. That's not easy stuff to transcribe. When I used to look at his work, I couldn't even read it. Um, so we've got very different brains. Um, I'm into language and emotions. Um, not at all arty. <laughs> I don't think either of us are. Actually, he was used to be quite good at art. He used to be quite good at painting pictures of my rabbits um, and the cats and things. He often used to do that for his art homework. So I think he is artier than me. Um, so yeah, he got the arty brain um, and the maths logic brain. Um, and yeah, I got <laughs> I got the other stuff. I got the other stuff. Don't know, I don't know who's doing better, but um, we're both doing all right. So there we go. Another aside into my life, which I know some of you enjoy. So as I was saying, the first time this cropped up for me as an issue was when I was in um, undergraduate study. And when I was then ill, I thought, oh, no, but it means so and so will have some sort of disruption to their lecture. You know, they'll be unsettled. So I was working with some people that had autism as well. And sometimes they just like to know that there was someone nearby in case anything went wrong that they could get to help to problem solve um so yeah you if you are in this role yourself or looking to to apply to this role you'll be working with a variety of different presentations so there's that sense that you know am i am i ill enough to warrant wrecking two people's days you know so um i don't know about you and i'm not advocating this but Certainly when it came to um, studying for final exams for myself, um, my lecture notes were usually in an assortment of mine and three of my closest friends writing. <laughs> so usually one of us of the four of us would have been to the lecture. Um, and yeah, I, I'm going to name check them here because they're so lovely. Claire, Gemma and Katie, um, usually bef between us, I'm sure they were dreading the day that it was my notes they had to read. But between us, when we'd attended lectures or seminars, 
um, and the other person hadn't, we'd pass on our notes. Um, so yeah, I did did my bit as well. I would I would say on balance, I went to most lectures and probably all seminars because I think the seminars were compulsory and the lectures at that time were not. Um, but yeah, um, not all of my not all of my original notes were in my own handwriting. Um, so yeah, it was was quite interesting to see how, just how many of those there were um, that I then had to kind of read and understand and um, get into some ship shape order for my own exams and coursework. So yeah, if <laughs> it's probably all different now, you probably all take laptops or um, you know iPads and stuff. But at the time, that was incredibly rare. So I started university in 1999. It was incredibly rare to have anybody tip tapping away. I think there might have been sort of one person at the front. Um, and that was it. But I'm sure it's very different now. Um, and even when I went to um, to do some teaching um, at a declinsci course, um, they were all sat there with their laptops tip tapping what I said. And it was a very different experience. Whereas when I did teaching, we'd all sit in um, a, a sort of a ring shape. Um, you know, with the presenter standing at the open end of the ring, um, the open end of the circle. Um, and it was very collaborative. And, you know, you could get instant sort of eye connection with people to get a sense that you were being understood. Whereas talking to the back of sort of 15 laptops isn't quite the same, you know, and it it puts that distance between you and the, you know, the people that you're speaking to, um, which I didn't necessarily enjoy, actually. Um, I really thought there was something very special about being in the room with 15 people, you know, with nothing on their laps, just bringing themselves um, with nothing getting in the way. That was something quite unique. So, um, yeah, if you are going on to training, I would suggest sometimes that you just maybe suggest just being, you know, how about we take pen and paper notes um, or one of us takes pen and paper notes. We take turns to scribe so that the rest of you can take turns in really immersing yourself in the process. This is a total aside. This is nothing to do with being poorly, but, um, you know, just talking about technology um, and, um, how that how that crops up at universities but um yes yeah, so what I was saying was that it was if I was going to be sick I had to kind of work out whether I was sick enough to not go and obviously if you had a vomit bug or something then you really can't go you know the basic infection control principles are usually that you're not welcome back between 48 and 72 hours after you've last been sick um, and so you know your hands are tied in that regard um, and so you know you can't go um, certainly in the NHS it's it's 48 hours after you've last been sick it might have been 72 I can't quite recall um, but in those positions you're going to have to not support your service user um, which means you're going to need to phone in sick um, and it's never an easy thing to do, you know, having to make that phone call um, to your supervisor, your manager or um, team lead or, you know, duty receptionist and say, I'm really sorry, I'm not coming in. And, you know, we can soften the blow these days by sending an early text to somebody and then saying, well, I'll call in when the lines are open at nine. But it's not easy. And so this cropped up for me. Um, this week because I've had tonsillitis. I've been really unwell. Um, you know, I first started feeling dodgy 
Friday, which was the day we got back from holiday. I felt dizzy, just completely exhausted, but like excessively exhausted um, because actually, you know, I hadn't had late nights. I hadn't had, you know, there was no reason I should be feeling that exhausted after a holiday. You know, we'd done lots of walking, but I should usually I would feel uplifted and invigorated by that rather than completely drained. And the bed wasn't as comfortable as I would have wanted it to be, but it was not enough to warrant being that exhausted. So, yeah, it's been rumbling. And then from Sunday, I just didn't feel well at all. Um, and yeah, and then my, my tonsils were just awful, 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 to the extent that the doctor took pity on me on Monday and prescribed me some antibiotics. So thank you to her. She was lovely. Um, and then I started to turn a corner. So I'm doing this on Wednesday afternoon. And I started to turn a corner Tuesday evening, I would say. I started to think, oh, <laughs> oh, I feel a bit more like myself. But um, I have been not role modeling terrifically well because um on the monday when i was feeling dreadful i didn't want to let my um membership down so i still did my usual lunchtime live which is if you if you're familiar with the compassionate q and a it's like that but people ask me any questions once a week so if you like the compassionate q and a's and you would like more of them then you can get those within my membership so that's worth bearing in mind as well um but then that evening, I also had the second and final um, compassionate Q&A of this application um, stage. Um, and because I'd been advertising it on the um, on the podcast and on socials, I didn't want to let people down. And because I knew um, that it's, it is application season and the applications, in case you're not aware, um, for declin size, certainly for clearinghouse, they're due in before 1pm on the 16th of November. So in case that's not on your radar, it's coming up very soon. So my virtual assistant had said to me, why don't you just, you know, postpone it and do it later in the week when you're when you're more well, you know, and I entertained that idea for a couple of seconds. And I just thought, no, because I want to do <laughs> I want to do it now. Um, and of course, it is a bit different because it meant that I was having to work for an hour and a half, you know, in my own house. Um, it's not like I had to get a train, um, you know, go out in the pouring rain, um, stand around for a while. Um, it was more compartmentalised. But, but I do think with the, the, you know, the commonality that we have of working from home these days, we are more likely to do some work on the days when we should be or indeed we are on sick leave so um yeah i probably if i was being entirely fair to myself i would have got hannah to contact the clients and to look up their numbers and cancel which is of course what we used to do in the good old days of the nhs before we had laptops you just you didn't have any access to you know, VPN connections to be able to securely access your client's contact details to cancel. And so then that would be done via the office, you know, from their desktops, they would look at information, call the patient um, and let them know that unfortunately, the clinician isn't very well today. And they will make contact when they are well again. But um, I do think we're more likely to do some of it 
Um, and whether that's partly because we don't want to inconvenience anyone else, because of course it's sometimes clinicians that have to do that and then telephone, um, sometimes already overstretched admin staff um, having to make those phone calls. Um, and so if we can do something to lessen the load of our um, you know, minimise any disappointment um, or inconvenience. I think we are probably just by the very nature of our profession, we're more likely to want to do that. Um, but do bear in mind that you don't have to, you know, if you're not well enough to work, um, that you just need to report that you're not well enough for duty. And with that in mind, you know, I think the most unwell I've ever felt was in 2016. Um, and at that point, I had uh, a three month old baby um, and a three year old. And we were having an extension. We had no kitchen um, and um, I had bronchitis. And this was um, the weekend where the preschool had sent my little boy home with um, Wilf, the class bunny, um, to have a marvellous time at home. Um, and my little, my youngest, the baby, didn't sleep. Um, he waked me several times a night. Um, he, um, he was breastfed. And so, you know, when you're unwell and breastfeeding, it's not the easiest, um, although at least, at least you can lay flat in bed, you know, and hopefully the child might go to sleep and then you can put them back in their cot. But basically, you know, I do recall at one stage Googling at that time, can you die of bronchitis? Because I felt so awful, so awful. Um, and then having to somehow entertain this class bunny and pretend we're having a nice time when <laughs> mummy's too ill to leave the house and the house is in utter chaos because we had no kitchen we had, living room had everything in it my youngest didn't have a bedroom so all his clothes were there laundry was everywhere it was an awful awful time um and yeah I thankfully you know I came through it but I was really so unwell um I definitely couldn't have gone to work and yet still here I was having to look after two children. Um, but yeah, my husband, I do recall rallying around. He gets a very, he gets an awful pained expression on his face when I'm ill. He's so used to me just getting on with and doing things and, you know, sorting the kids' breakfasts. And because I'm an early bird, so I'll often be up anyway. So from sorting my own breakfast and drinks and things, you know, I just do it for the kids as part of the things that I do. Um, and I think when I'm not well enough to do them, suddenly it's like, oh, I don't really like you being unwell. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Um, whereas I'm, yeah, I'm a provider. I'm a nurturer. I'm used to being the one, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want anything? You know, and I usually probably four or five times a week would cook tea and then suddenly like, I can't do any of that. You know, I'm laying flat. And so it's, um, yeah, it's tricky when we've got different roles and then <laughs> you're not well enough to do any of them. Um, but yes, um, so my point with where I was going with that is, you know, we try and we do like this, you know, adjusting, don't we? Um, where we think, well, you know, I'm, I, I could be more unwell. Maybe I'm not unwell enough but you know we've got to be compassionate here and we've got to think well how much more unwell would you need to be to not go you know or should you be going and you know well if this got worse and you were admitted to hospital then there'd be no question about it you couldn't work from hospital and so you know what we also know is that if we give ourselves time to 
properly rest and recharge. So I spent all of Monday in bed, apart from the one and a half hours that I mentioned. And I spent all of Tuesday, every second of Tuesday in bed until about 4pm when I thought I'd try and cook tea <laughs> to see if I could manage it because um, I'd started to feel a bit better. So other than that, I was laying flat. Um, I've watched some Netflix. I've read some book. Um, I did check my emails and try to do a bit of my accounting software, but that's like non-work. It doesn't count as work for me because you're just literally locating receipts and attaching them and stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, and also we've got to think when we're employed, um, which I'm not <laughs> self-employed, a sick day when you're self-employed is a painful thing because you're not getting paid. Um, but yeah, you've got to think about sometimes when you are employed about your sickness absence um, and how that's looked upon. And that can pressure you into work or pressure you to consider saying, can I work from home today because I'm not feeling that well or you know, I don't want anybody else to get sick, but actually you're probably not really well enough to be there at all. You know, if you're not well enough to be in a building, are you well enough to work full stop? Um, so, yeah, I'd love your thoughts on this. Um, come along and discuss with me. But for now, we've got a little break and I'll be back along very soon. Hello, my name is Avalon and I'm an undergraduate psychology student. I really enjoyed reading The Aspiring Psychologist Collective and I really honestly just couldn't put it down. I found it really helpful because as I'm in my final year, I'm starting to think about what I'd like to do after uni. And up until this point, I've been very set on the idea of pursuing an AP role. And The Aspiring Psychologist Collective helped me to see that there are so many more options out there that may appeal to me and I'm looking forward to exploring some things and broadening out my options. And I also really appreciated that people were open about their lived experience and how they navigated this over their psychology journey. I had lived experience of an eating disorder, so it was really inspiring to hear about how people have brought that into their reflections and how it shaped the clinicians that they are today. Aspiring 
Okay, welcome back. Thank you so much for that testimonial. I would love your testimonials of the podcast, of the books, um, the Aspiring Psychologist Collective, the Grief Collective, the Clinical Psychologist Collective. So please do come along to my website, www.goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk forward slash podcast. And then you can click for how you can very simply leave me an audio testimonial. It really is just a couple of clicks. So please do look into that. And whilst you're there, just pick up your phone, scroll to the Apple Podcasts app, and then rate us and review us if you have a couple more moments. That would be so gratefully received. So we're thinking about ill health today. And of course, there can be a number of causes of ill health. So, so far, we've spoken about transient um, conditions such as bronchitis um, and colds and uh, tonsillitis. And if you're battling any of those currently, I feel for you. I used to have tonsillitis all the time um, when I was an aspiring psychologist and I'd forgotten just how awful it is. Um, So if you have that right now, if you've got a really horrid cold and you just want your bed, um, you just want a cuddle, um, please know that I'm sending you my solidarity. Came to 1am Um, the other morning and I felt so wretched, wretched is the word, and my husband was asleep and I wanted to wake him up and say, I don't feel well, I just feel so awful, Um, but I thought that probably wouldn't be fair, Um, so I didn't. (laughs) And then when he eventually woke up, he said, oh, you were awful last night, you were just awful, awful to share a bed. I was like, I know, I felt so unwell. Um, But yeah, to my mind, he was asleep all the time. Um, But clearly he wasn't, he was probably (laughs) awake when I was asleep and making a lot of noise and being just very unwell. So if you're not feeling well, um, yeah, feel better soon. Um, Try and look after yourself, try to eat if you can stomach it, try to keep your hydration up. Um, see if you can ask other people to help you, um, something we're not that good at all the time. You know, can you ask someone to look after you or to look after the people you would usually look after? They might be small people, they might be grown up people, they might be your siblings. Can you ask for more help so that you can focus on just some R and R and maybe even a nap? You know, I had a nap the other day, Monday afternoon. I thought, oh, well, because I'm, you know, I'm work, I can work from bed. But I really couldn't. I just wasn't well enough. So I had a nap, and then thankfully felt a little bit better to be able to do my compassionate Q and A. But the next day, my friend contacted me, and she's like, Marianne, you looked so unwell. You looked so unwell when you were doing that. Are you sure you should have been doing that? I was like, I didn't want to let people down. Um, so yes, um, if you are going through a sticky patch right now, please look after yourselves. Um, and I hope it passes soon. But of course, transient ill health is not always um, the reason for sickness absence. You know, perhaps you live with chronic pain um, or you've got a physical health condition. Um, you know, maybe even if you've got asthma or allergies that mean that you can't always get into work. Um, and that obviously is impacted upon by any um, sickness absent policies as well, you know, because HR can get a bit twitchy in occupational health when you start having 
more days over a certain allocation in a time period. It's not easy stuff. And you know, it does affect our decision of thinking about whether we are well enough to be at work or whether we're unwell enough to be at home and not working. So this is not easy stuff, but you can always talk to your supervisor. You can always talk to occupational health if you want to to think about um, any changes to your working practices that might make it easier for you to work, Um, you know, and certainly occupational health are responsible for things like display equipment and the comfort of your chair. So if you've got any back problems, it's really important that you have a properly fitted um, you know, desk chair workplace assessment. Um, and sometimes they will leave that with your sticker on the back of the chair, making sure that no one else touches it because it's set up for you. So yeah, don't struggle on in physical pain. Make sure that um, work are looking after you, getting you any wrist guards or anything that you might need to um, you know, to protect your wrists and things like that. So yeah, contact your occupational health if you think there are adjustments that could be made to make your life at work, either at home working um, or uh, working in a workspace um, work better for you. And again, there's, you know, regardless of what type of illness we're talking about, there's that sense of, you know, are you really able to give your best self, to give your full attention to what your clients are saying and to be sitting with their distress. If you're feeling, you know, in pain or really unwell, the answer is usually no. And so in doing yourself a service of staying home and not working, you're also likely doing your clients a service because then when they do see you again, you're firing on all cylinders and you know, therapy might then move more quickly as well. Um, or whatever you're doing, <laughs> feel less of a struggle um, because you actually want to be there, which is very different than when you're feeling like you're turning up because you have to be there. And of course, there's other type, types of sickness as well. This could be mental ill health um, or it could be complications and just normal run of the mill pregnancy can make you quite unwell as well. But also if people are trying to conceive with a, with assisted fertilisation, that can be quite disruptive to your health and to the way that you feel. Um, I was once doing a session with a young person in CAMS when I was pregnant. Um, and I think it's probably before I told certainly my clients that I was pregnant and I remember being sick in my mouth during a session and having to swallow it down it's not nice so I wasn't sick sick and I wasn't contagious sick um but um you know wasn't living my best life then um I remember (laughs) sitting in my office I did have an office in that service which was marvelous it was a shared office but it was still a lovely office um shared between me and one other person um but yeah I remember sitting with my head on my desk (laughs) just feeling so nauseous so um I see if I wasn't being sick I was feeling nauseous and it's very tricky to carry on so again if you're in that position Congratulations if you are feeling excited about it. Um, But yeah, awful, awful pregnancy, nausea, dreadful. Um, Yeah, I I preferred the days that I was actually sick, I felt better because, um, you know, then it's done. But if it's just that awful nausea that seemed to go on all day, there's nothing you can do. Nothing, nothing takes the edge off. So, um, yeah, I've been there. It passes. 
you know, once you have the baby. Um, but yeah, luckily, both of my nauseous periods seem to stop um, yeah, into the into the middle trimester, the second trimester. Um, so, um, you know, but of course, when you are pregnant, if you're expecting, you know, one or multiple babies, there can be complications to your health that means that you need to take um, some sickness absence as well. Um, so I, during my first pregnancy, um, had to take probably about three-ish weeks off, I'd say, um, and quite significant blood loss I was experiencing. Um, and so I was made to stay home until they were confident that that was stopped and that wasn't a risk to to me or to baby. Now, of course, pregnancy sickness is doesn't count as sickness in the same way. So um, if you are pregnant and you've told your occupational health, um, which people do encourage you to do, to tell your manager so that any you know, accommodations can be made as well to make sure that you're not at risk and baby's not at risk in the settings that we work. So it is your choice, but it might be something that you would choose to do before your 12-week scan. Um, you know, this is not sharing on socials, this is not sharing with the wider team, but this is sharing with somebody who has a, a managerial um, and a responsibility to keep you safe at work. So your choice um, of course, but um, it might be something that you want to consider. So, yeah, pregnancy sickness doesn't count um, towards your usual sickness record because pregnancy is what's called a protected characteristic. So, um, yes, I hope this has been useful um, because what I know is that we will have days where we feel physically unwell or when we feel mentally not well enough to be at work. And these are important considerations. And they're conversations you might well have with your clients as well. If they're working, they'll be talking to you about, you know, working and how well they feel. And sometimes I'll say to a client, it's my professional advice here. But I don't think you're well enough to be at work. And sometimes people can find that really validating, you know, because it gives you permission then to to not work and to not, you know, to take the take the pressure off that guilt pedal. You know, well, you know, Dr. Marianne also thinks I'm not well enough to work. So now I can relax, you know, into being unwell and really focus on getting better. And I certainly had that when my dad died. So I was on some sick leave after he died. Um, and the GP said, I don't think you are well enough to be at work at the moment. You know, the job you do with the level of trauma work you do and the level of grief that you're regularly rubbing up against in your day to day work life. I don't think you're well enough to be there. And that was really like I said, really validating to have someone else give you permission um, to have time off work. And of course, that came in the, the form of a sick note, didn't it? But um, yeah, if if you feel like you can't give yourself permission to be off work, then talk to someone else as well who can help you give permission to yourself to even, you know, get signed off for work. Um all right. So I hope you found that useful. Come along to the Aspiring Psychologist community free group um, to discuss how you're feeling. And if you're not feeling well, come and tell me about it. And I will go, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Look after yourself. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go to bed. 
and I'm going to do the clinical notes from the client I saw this morning and I'm going to um, edit this podcast episode so I can manage that. Um, my mother-in-law has been amazing and has been taking the children to and from school whilst I haven't been feeling very well and she's picking them up for me today and I'm hoping I will be feeling stronger and more able to resume normal service um tomorrow that's the plan anyway so yeah i hope you found this helpful hope you can forgive me looking you probably like shouldn't look any different but i feel like i don't look my, quite my usual self um and why are we so self-deprecating i don't know that's a that's a whole nother episode um but yeah thank you for listening hope you found it useful and i'm looking forward to catching up with you very soon take care if you're looking to become a psychologist and let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent My name is Diakalola Amujo I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.